Assalamu alaikum, everybody, and a very warm welcome to episode 30 of the Arabic with Sam podcast. I pray that you guys are very, very well and in the best of health. Those of you who are watching the video, you'll be able to see this beautiful new microphone which we have. And those of you who are listening only in the ears on any of the podcast platforms, whether you're listening on SoundCloud or Stitcher or you're one of the people who has an Apple device and you have um, whatever devices they have over there, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever, or if you're listening on whatever else there is, Podbean or whatever, then uh, you'll be able to hear it in the ears that we have a very, very nice new microphone right here. And i uh, just like to say thank you very much to our brother, Michael Amir, who um, took it upon himself just to buy it for me. Um, on our Patreon page, I do kind of have some some goals and some objectives that we have for the Arabic with Sam media, um, including stuff like buying new equipment, getting an office, putting a team, um, you know, getting people to edit the stuff, um, increasing it to daily podcasts, it's not just one every, you know, one every week or whatever. So, um, and on that, obviously, our brother Michael obviously saw that I wanted this microphone and took it upon himself just to go and get it for me, which is really beautiful. Um, you know, that, that somebody out there believes in the work that we're doing and stuff. So um, I wanted to begin by saying thank you to him. Next, before we actually get into the main episode, um, the main sort of topic of the podcast, um, I just wanted to raise... Um, just wanted to raise an offer with you guys. Um, there's a little something that I'd like to do, a little something that I'd like to give away, um, just leading up to Ramadan, because um, I would like more people to start the Arabic in 60 Steps program before Ramadan. I think there are some things that I can do to uh, make it a bit more appealing for you before Ramadan. And obviously, the earlier, the better, right? Because if you come in earlier uh, before Ramadan, then that means that you... Um, get to make more progress in your Arabic before the actual month of Ramadan starts. And I think that uh, if one of you is, um, you know, if you're particularly engaged, if you want to engage with the resource, you want to make a lot of progress, even if you were to join now with only, you know, less than less than two weeks before Ramadan, you could you could seriously up-level the amount of the Tarawih that you understand. You could have a seriously better relationship with the Qur'an just with the Arabic that you could achieve between now and Ramadan. So I want to give a really big incentive for you to join before Ramadan. So what I'm going to do, is starting this Thursday, for those 10 days leading up to Ramadan, I'm going to start 10 days away with a really, really big discount. I'm going to give you £200 off, right? That's like 40% off the program if my math is right. Yeah, like, you're going to get a seriously big discount then, but that discount is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller as you're coming up to, up to the start of Ramadan, right? So 10 days away, £200 discount. Nine days away, £180 discount. 10 days away, £160 discount, and, and it will get £20 less the closer to Ramadan that you get, right? So there's there's huge incentive for you to join up earlier, right? And this is going to start on Thursday, okay? So on Thursday, um, yeah, you'll get that. If you do want to join earlier, right, you don't, you don't need to wait until then, I'll probably still just give you the discount, right? If you were to join today, I'll just reimburse you whatever, right, so the, so the £200 discount is kind of starting today, right now, as you're listening to it, but um, yeah, but officially, it's going to be kind of like a, a, a 10 days until Ramadan promotion, so I just wanted to make you guys aware of that, if any of you just need a little bit more convincing, just to tip you over the edge, and just to get you actually to take action upon the program, if, um, if I need to miss out on a bit of money to get you to join the program, then so be it, um, to actually get you to take some action and make this, make this Ramadan the most meaningful Ramadan yet, inshallah. So let's actually get into the main topic of the podcast then. Uh, let's actually crack on. So um, I'm, I'm going to stop listening to my, my own voice now uh, because it's um, really distracting. I was, I was listening to my own voice um, as I'm recording this and it's actually it's really distracting, but I probably should actually just in case we crackle or anything at all. 
But let's get into the main episode of the podcast. So obviously, as I said, very warm welcome, episode 30. Uh, in this episode of the podcast, we're talking about how to study Arabic abroad, how to study Arabic in the Arab world, because it is an option for most people, right? Let most people listen to this podcast. You probably think about it or have thought about it at one point in your life or another. And um, more so for us living here in the UK, it's actually very feasible. Um, for our brothers and sisters who live over the pond in Canada, USA, um, or, or even Australia and stuff as well, like the Middle East is much further away. Like for us in the UK, we can be in an Arabic-speaking country in like three and a half hours, four hours, right? Like, so it's actually feasible for us. So, but 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 I mean, I'm sure it is an option for for people who uh, you know who do live further afield as well. So, what I'd like to do in this episode is I'd like us to talk about where are the best places to go, perhaps why you should go to the Middle East because some people want to, some people go to the Middle East to study Arabic for the wrong reasons. You know, if there are certain objectives for learning Arabic, which really you could just do at home, you know, and you could save yourself thousands of pounds, right? If you were to just study it at home. So um, we'll talk about, um, yeah, about why, what are the best reasons and then how, yeah, how to apply to different places, how to actually get yourself involved, what that process is like, and um, and then also how to get the most out of it. If you are actually in the Middle East, how to get the most out of your experience, because it's not just a given, unfortunately. Um, you know, if you turn up in Cairo, if you turn up in, um, you know, you turn up in um, Casablanca or you turn up in wherever, right? It's not just a given that you're just going to learn Arabic just because you're there, right? There are some things that you actually need to do proactively as a student to, um, you know, to really get the most out of it. So firstly, let's talk about where. So there are a few things to consider. So firstly is dialects, right? First thing is dialects. I mean, normally when people go from the UK to the Middle East to study, usually people go to Egypt. Egypt is well known for Arabic and Quran. Like if people want to start taking their religion a bit more seriously, people are starting practicing or people just want to get Arabic and the Quran, Egypt is the place where people normally go. And there's ample in, um, institutes out there, right? There's a lot of ma'ahid out there that teach Arabic and the Quran. But the dialect in Egypt is one that's very well known. It's not one which is close to Fusha. Um, the Egyptian dialect is, um, but it is very, very widely known. I mean, Egypt Egypt has a very long history of kind of popular culture, music, films and series and stuff like that. And because of that, it's a very, very widely known and understood dialect. Um, so, yeah, so Egypt is a really good option um, as well. I, I think I think the further you get away from the middle of the Arab world, by which I mean like Palestine, Syria, Jordan, the, the further away from that you get, the further away from Fusha you get, in my experience, even like, even though a lot of people kind of assume that Saudi Arabia is like the main Arab country, so they should speak the closest to Fusha, in my experience, that's that's really not the case. Um, in, in my experience, I've found, because my wife was actually born in Riyadh, and she actually grew up in Riyadh, and she, she speaks like Saudi dialect. And, um, you know, I actually find that the no, the, the 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 closest to Fusha is actually the region of Sham, the 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 Levant or the or Levantine dialect, or however however you say it in your particular country, right? So yeah, so so I'd say that, right? So you should really consider the dialect, right? And then and then if you go as far afield as like Morocco, you you might as well go to learn French. Um, that 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 might be a bit of a strong statement, actually. It might might not be that. That severe, but um, but but the, but the dialect is very very far away from Fusha. If you want to if you want to be in an environment where the spoken dialect aids your Fusha, Morocco is probably not a place to do that. Um, but there are a lot of good institutes in Morocco. Um, there are a lot of good institutes in Morocco to learn Arabic as a beginner. It's very accessible for Westerners. You know, people from the West go there all the time. And also something that's probably 
worth noting for um, the listeners from USA and Canada is that it's your closest Arabic-speaking country, right? And even for us in the UK, actually, it's the, our closest Arabic-speaking country. And it's very affordable to study there as well. And that's also something to bear in mind, right? Is it is it affordable? Because, um, you know, whilst there might be some countries that speak a dialect that is, in my opinion, closer to Fusha, like Jordan, it's expensive to live in Jordan, right? Like, like you know, countries... Countries a lot of the time that are the most accessible for Westerners. Like I would say, Jordan is probably the most accessible for Westerners. You know, like, especially like for, for for people from the West who are non-Muslims who want to study in the Middle East. I would say Jordan is probably the best place to go. Um, you know, like I know that my family. Like if I want to take my family to an Arab country, they would feel they could feel so at home in Jordan. Like they even do like even even to like a weird degree. Like even at like even like shopping malls and stuff in Jordan, you'll see Christmas trees and stuff. Like it's like it's weird, like it's almost weird. Like almost try try too hard. It's almost a bit like Dubai in that sense. Like there's there's such a strong effort to welcome Westerners, um, but then in those countries and obviously in obviously in the UAE, Dubai is not a country. The UAE of which Dubai is a city in, um, and Jordan are expensive places, but Morocco is not. You know Morocco is accessible for Westerners, but it's not particularly expensive, and Egypt is not expensive as well. I mean you can. You know, you can live in Egypt very, very cheaply. And in fact, there's such a concentration of scholars and such a concentration of educators in Egypt that you can you can pay for private tutors very, very easily. You know, when, when I was in Egypt, I had a I had a private tutor who taught me Arabic poetry and I had to pay him like, I don't know, 20 Egyptian Egyptian pounds or whatever an hour. And that's like two pounds. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think you should pay more than that. I only paid that because I had no money and I was a student and stuff. And I'd wasted all my money on my degree. But, um, yeah. So, like, so cost is another thing, right? Cost is another thing to bear in mind. So I've talked a little bit about dialects. Um, talked a little bit about cost. Institutes. I mean, yes, yeah, so, you know, so you, you might get some countries that are, you know, are incredible to go to for um historical purposes or for religious purposes or whatever like like palestine for example if you want to know a lot more about studying in palestine about my experience studying in palestine and check out the previous um, episode of the podcast you know because i discussed it in real detail last week so episode 29 of the podcast but you might get a country like that but just doesn't have a lot of institutes that there are institutes in all of the main cities but they're not well known or hugely established however like in jordan like qasid qasid have an have amazing online programs even um, yeah, but it's, it's expensive, you know, like, Qasid is a world-renowned institution for learning the Arabic language in Jordan, but it's expensive, you know, if you're willing to, you know, like, to be honest, if you're willing, if you've got the money to travel to another country, and you can sacrifice the time and the effort, then you, you might be a person who can, who can afford that as well, to study at Qasid, but, so Jordan obviously has amazing institutes, and, and it's not difficult to get a visa as well, that's another thing to bear in mind. Like, although there might be a lot of institute institutes and there might be, you know, really good for religious significance to go to Saudi, it's hard to get a visa. Do you know what I mean? They're not just going to give out visas willy-nilly, you know, so um, so that's another thing to bear in mind, right? Um, Egypt is easy to get a visa. Um, I remember when I studied in Egypt, I had to go to the Egyptian consulate in London and get a visa, and it took a while to get that. I remember there being sort of um, administrative issues at the, at the consulate, Sometimes Arab consulates, you can't always um, can't always guarantee that they're going to be open um, in uh, <laughs> at the times that they say they're going to be open and stuff like that. So yeah, those are things to consider. I mean, Egypt has tons of institutes as well. I know people who have come come out of Al Fajr, 
there's an institute called Al-Fajr in Egypt, which is very successful. I know some very, very competent um, Arabic linguists who have come out of there. Um, yeah, so, so we've talked a little bit, but I kind of haven't had noted down culture to mention something about culture. Um, because obviously you, you, you need to kind of be aware of what you can, what you can kind of bear. I think if, I think if I wasn't a Muslim, I would have found it very difficult to live in Nablus, I think, like, because Nablus is just very conservative. Like, I loved it. But like, I think if I was, if I was sort of like the rugby lad that I was before Islam, I would have found it very difficult to to live for a year or for a month or whatever to study Arabic in Nablus, but, but not really in you know, in Jordan, I probably would have settled fine and stuff and found non-Muslim friends and whatever and lived, or or at least like secular friends and lived fairly comfortably. But you've just got to be aware of, of your culture and stuff. You've got to be aware of what you, you know, of what difference you can handle and stuff as well. So so bear that in mind. Um, and then, then the last thing I wanted to mention on the, the where topic is, um, is safety. Um, you know, because sometimes there might be somewhere really amazing to go where you're going to have an amazing experience but it's not safe you know <laughs> like and, you know and that that obviously changes um changes over time doesn't it you know like i know i know my university used to send all of their students to syria and the students used to have an amazing time in syria they used to study at the, in damascus and even i have students on my program the arabic in 60 steps program who studied arabic in syria and um had it in and even one of one of my mentors actually one of the mentors who teaches on the program sister maymoon she she studied in Syria as well, and, and that was an incredible experience. But um, you know, n- now it's pretty much impossible. But you know, there would have been a time earlier when it would have been a risk that students would have taken. And Palestine is similar; it's a risk that some some students take. Um, and Egypt, even at times as well. Like I, I when I went to Egypt, it was when it was when there were the the elections when Muslim Brotherhood were elected, and it was was pretty tense even then as well. Um, but just you've just got to bear that in mind. You've just got to calculate that. You've got to calculate whether whether it's worth it or whether you can whether you know locals and stuff, you can keep you safer. Do you know what I mean? That's that's a big thing, you know, if you know locals in a particular country, that will keep you a lot safer. You know, and it'll probably save you a lot of money as well. If you can get things at locals rates rather than tourist rates. That'll be very, very helpful as well. Yeah, I know um yeah, I know that definitely would be the case in Egypt. Um, that is definitely something worth considering if you know locals there, you know, and yeah, like I'm, I'm planning on going to Somalia sometime in the next, not, not for, obviously they don't speak Arabic in Somalia, but, um, a lot of, a lot of Somalis do speak Arabic, but it's not like the spoken language of Somalia, but, um, but like my in-laws, I'll just be stuck to them the whole time. Do you know what I mean? Like there are some places when safety is a concern, um, where, having local knowledge and stuff is worth more than a lot of other things. You know, if you, if you know some, if you know some Moroccans, you can just link you up a little bit in Morocco, even though the dialect in Morocco isn't quite so helpful for learning Fusha, it might be worth choosing that over studying in Jordan. Do you know what I mean? It might be, it might be worth doing that like that. That carries a very, very heavy weight when choosing somewhere to study. Um, yeah, more so than other things. So there's a lot of things to bear in mind about where, right? If we move on to talking a little bit about why, so you, you should really try your best to exhaust all of your avenues in your country first. Like, firstly, kind of to the Muslim community, like it is a principle for the students of Islamic knowledge that you should exhaust all of the avenues in your own country first before going somewhere else. But then also on, on like a secular point to everybody, even the non-Muslims who are listening, like, like if you haven't developed good study habits where you are now, and in the comfort that you have now and all the resources that you have now and the routines you have now, it's very unlikely that you will do in an Arab country. 
you should. Like, I remember I kind of had a very romanticized idea in my head of how I would acquire a language. Like I, like, I just kind of had in my head, I'll just turn up and I'll just immerse myself. I'll become one of them. But that's very, that's a very, very romantic idea. Like it's that, that, that doesn't happen for most people. Um, and to make it happen, there are certain steps that you need to take to make an experience like that happen. So, um, so firstly, you should, you, you, you should think, why are you really learning Arabic? Like that, that should be a first thing. Like if you're, if you're learning Arabic to like read and write and do literature, I don't really think it is worth going abroad just for that, unless you want to go abroad for like, you know, to learn about the history and to learn about new culture and stuff like that. But for purely languages purposes, for purely a language purpose, I don't actually think you you really should travel necessarily. However, if you want to practice your speaking and your immersion, you need you need to be immersed, right? But that's most that's most useful for dialects. Right, like if, if you want to be immersed in a Fusha speaking environment, it's probably not best to go and enrol yourself on a program in in Morocco for a month. You know, but it, it, you don't really need to do that. Um, you know, for Fusha, like I think the main reason people should go to the Middle East to study is really for dialects. Like if it's not dialects, then I think most people can actually supplement it in their own country. Um, you know, but but then again, obviously that that obviously depends if. You know, if you are enrolled in a good program where you're having a lot of hours a day to do fushat in an Arab country, then 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 you know that that does outweigh it. I suppose that you know that that is a good reason to study abroad. Um, yeah, so that is a good reason. But there are you know there are reasons to um, you know, there are reasons to not study abroad. Like even if you're an, if you're a very keen and determined Arabic student, there are reasons for it not to be the right reason for you. You know, to actually go and study abroad. So, um, so perhaps maybe that leads us on nicely to talking about how, um, so to how to actually go about it. F- firstly, think about legalities of, of going. Firstly, think about can you get a visa to go? You need to do these things in the right order, by the way. You know, because some, you know, I have known of students book flights to somewhere without a visa. <laughs> and, the, and then that's, then they've come unstuck at a later date or they've booked flights somewhere and then considered the safety aspects of traveling somewhere. So, you need to do these things in the right order. Firstly, it seems obvious, but some people do miss it out, is the legalities. Can you actually go there legally? Can you get a visa legally to actually study there? That's that's kind of the first thing. Next thing to do is um, is actually plan what you're going to be doing there. Like, I, I have a lot, I get a, I've had a lot of emails from students, and I've actually experienced this myself, where students kind of rock up in Egypt for a month, and then they just sit in their room for most of the time. You know, you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan for being engaged in certain activities and stuff, actually, whilst you're in an Arabic country. Um, so I think it is a really good idea to be enrolled on a program. Personally, I think it's a good idea to not travel with people, personally, unless you have a really good relationship with them. You know, like, I don't know if this is just a, a flaw in myself um, that took me a really long time to overcome, but I was really kind of just really kind of shy about my Arabic abilities to, to, to my friends from the UK anyway. Not not in the Middle East because I'm a foreigner and I'm expected to not be fluent Arabic. So I was comfortable in that environment, but I, I really wasn't comfortable traveling with people from the UK and showing how weak my Arabic was. Like I, I was the sort of person who really just wanted to travel on my own. 
and so so that's why I got so much out of my experience in Egypt because I went on my own, and um, and even and even what even though I had like a program and I was going to international house in Cairo and that's where I was studying Arabic, like. I, I deliberately didn't really make friends with the people. I turned up, I did my studies, I listened to the teacher, I was very engaged. And then as soon as I left, I avoided everyone else, by all means necessary, really. Like, I just wanted to make local friends, I wanted to go to local places, go to local restaurants and stuff where locals actually went. And I think that's a really good idea, like, that's something you need to actually do. Um, next thing is to... Next thing is... Um, you need to... You need to vary your conversations. Like you'll need to make it. You'll need to really make an effort to vary your conversations because the experience of everyone who goes to the Arab world. You are a foreigner who has come to the Arab world. So most conversations, most conversations will pan out like this. Hello, how are you? Where are you from? Um, you know that there will be very simple conversations. You might talk about the same thing every single time. But why you're learning Arabic? Or do you speak Arabic? And then you'll just have a conversation about learning Arabic. And that'll be it every time. Like for me, I had the same conversation with almost everyone for the first two months of being in Palestine. It was just about how did you, how did I become a Muslim? And I just had this story about becoming a Muslim. And I just reeled it off every single time. And I got really good at talking about how I became a Muslim in Arabic. But not much else. Right, so you you need to take it upon yourself, right, to make sure you're having conversations in a varied, in varied things. So it is a really good idea actually in the Arab world to have someone who's on board with that. You know, if you if you know if you have a private tutor or whatever in the Arab world or a private speaking partner, m most institutions will organise that. You know, most institutes when when you're in the Arab world, they will organise you having some conversation practice with one of their staff. And uh, use that opportunity to vary your conversations. Otherwise, you'll just get really good at talking about one thing in the Arab world. That that happens to almost everyone. Um, yeah, and sometimes even subconsciously, people people are really strong at talking about one thing that they've been forced to talk about a thousand times. And even subconsciously, people make the conversations go in that direction, even even when it's not entirely natural sometimes. So. Um, so, so that that is really something that you should be doing, right? Like, I think if you're out there for a month, every day you should try to have a new topic that you're talking to people about. Um, you know, like on the first day, it can be basic int introductions. Do you know what I mean? In your first day, get really good and really fluent at just, you know, um, you know, just, just basic stuff like that on the first day, but then maybe move to actually making the effort to talk to people about about religions or something in the country or maybe talk maybe move on to talking about a siyasa about, about politics in the country maybe move on to talking about al mudarim about restaurants in the country you know each day kind of have a topic and a, and a list of maybe 20 words or whatever that you want to use in conversations i think is really good because that that is immersion but but you need like guided immersion i think like just immersion for the sake of it is, is really good if you have loads of it, which is why it works for children, right? Because they have years of it. Like they have like two years before they have to start speaking. And then they have like another five before they have to speak properly. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but but you probably don't have that for a month, right? So your immersion needs to be very efficient and very guided. And that, that needs to be guided by yourself, right? Like you need to you need to have your topics, you need to have your vocab that, you, that you're going to go out into the world. You're going to say, I'm going to be immersed in this stuff today. And you know, you, you have the opportunity to put yourself in those environments, right? Like if you... If you're day, you are going to talk about, you know, al-ekel, you know, al-ekel, 
والمطاعم like food and uh, food and restaurants put yourself in restaurants put yourself in markets where you talk about food talk about weights of different foods you talk about you know you know whatever right for restaurants the you know ordering off a menu and you know tables and whatever right cultural food and stuff um yeah you need to you need to guide your immersion that's maybe a good kind of point to take away from this podcast right you if you have a, if you have a restricted amount of time in the middle east and by that i mean a matter of months if it's a matter of months you have in the middle east you need to guide your immersion to make it most efficient so i hope that's helped um that there was something i wanted to mention actually on the on the where um yeah but i, I kind of skimmed over it I, I wanted to mention that you shouldn't assume that it's going to be really cheap whatever Arab country you go to. I think something that us white people do a little bit is we just kind of go to other countries assuming that our current currency is going to be really powerful. Not going to be able to do that so much here in the UK. Obviously, with Brexit at the moment, our pound is particularly weak, which is infuriating when I get payments in, you know, when I, I, I pay for things in America or whatever. But anyway, um, yes, yeah, so you can't always do that. In fact, what a lot of people don't know is actually in Oman... In Oman, our currency is weaker than theirs. I remember seeing a job for an English teacher in Oman. I'm not interested in teaching English, but um, I remember ages ago I saw this job. And it was like a thousand Omani reals or whatever their currency is out there. And that was like £3,000 or whatever a month. Like a thousand. It's like, it's like way stronger than our currency. Oman, yeah. Not, not that I'm saying that Oman is a great country to go to to study Arabic. I think, you know, like a, one of my... One of my best professors who I studied under at SOAS was a very regular visitor to Oman and he said that you should not go there unless you're very proficient in Arabic and you're comfortable driving there. Yeah, like it's, um, yeah, he said that you only really get the most out of it if you're prepared to drive a lot, a big 4x4 in the desert and, and your Arabic is a very high level. Um, yeah, but it's, it would be an interesting place to go. I've never been, but it would be really interesting to go. So yes, yeah, so that's pretty much everything for this episode of the podcast. Um, I think we've probably probably gone on for plenty long enough, and those are kind of the main things I want to talk about about you know choosing what country to go to, what amount of time to go to, how to get the most out of that time when you actually do go, and um, yeah, and and what it might cost. You know, awesome. So that's everything for this episode of the podcast. I do have some guests lined up. Um, you know, there are, there are some guests who I do want to bring onto the podcast very shortly. More information of that will probably be on my Instagram account. My Instagram seems to be the most active of my platforms these days. So do you make the effort to go over and listen to the podcast? Go, go over and um, follow me on Instagram because I'm nearly a thousand followers as well. And I'd really love to get to a thousand followers before the end of Ramadan. That'd be cool. Get in touch with me if there are any topics in particular you'd like me to cover. Um, if there's anything you'd like me to clarify or any questions about this particular episode, just DM me on Instagram. Or you can email me, arabicwithsam at gmail.com. And uh, that's it. Look forward to seeing you guys in episode 31. Have a really good week. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.